Welcome to the RHA Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Ronsley Vass, founder, author, and lead marketer at Amplify. It's great to have you along today, and I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation to you with Ronsley. Ronsley and I first met on the Key Person of Influence program, and for those people who are regular listeners to the Arate podcast, you'll know that Glenn Carlson, one of the two founders of KPI, has been a previous guest. And Ronsley is one of the guys who really led the podcasting movement here in Australia, and introduced me to podcasting and I've been very interested to see what he's been able to achieve not only in terms of his own podcasts but also in building the podcasting community. He's been quite an inspiration to me in my own development as a podcaster with this Ciarate podcast. So I'll introduce at Ronsley to you in a moment but in the meantime for those people who are new to the Ciarate podcast let me introduce myself. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any recruitment requirements within your business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a talk about those. Let me now introduce to you Ronsley Bass. Ronsley Vass has had an extremely interesting and varied career. An Indian by background, he moved to Australia to complete a Masters of Software Engineering at Griffith University in 2003 and commenced work in the IT industry before going back to university and undertaking a Masters of Business Administration at QUT. At that time, being a passionate entrepreneur, he moved into the food industry and opened his own restaurant which he owned for a short period, as well as starting to create other entrepreneurial ventures around food and healthy lifestyle. After completing the KPI program, he commenced his own podcast, which has gone on to be extremely successful, and now has started the business Amplify, which supports organisations using podcasting and other audio means to broadcast their messages out to the community. He is currently the founder, author, and lead marketer at Amplify, and he lives in Brisbane with his wife. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Ronsley Vass. Ronsley, it's uh, fantastic to have you along on the Arate podcast. And as I said to you, uh, when you walked in, I feel like the young Luke Skywalker interviewing Yoda here because... Uh, That's rubbish. You, uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> so rubbish. Ronsley is uh, a preeminent uh, expert in the field of podcasting, very successful. But why don't we start, uh, tell uh, everybody listening uh, a little bit about what you're up to. What I'm up to? Uh, Richard, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. This is... Uh, this is cool. I mean, uh, this is a proper office. I don't usually get a chance to be in these kind of situations because right. I, I wear T-shirt and jeans, right? Yeah. They, they don't think I belong. Uh, but right now, I'm uh, leading a, a very cool agency called Amplify, and mm-hmm. uh, we're the first audio marketing agency in Australia. Uh, our growth has been 
pretty awesome over mm-hmm. the last few months. Uh, we're up to, to 11 full-time employees. Wow. Um, up in six time zones, which is, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, we just finished writing a book, mm-hmm. um, which is just published. And we did the, the, the second we are, the second annual, we are podcast conference as well, um, uh, last month. So I suppose lots of stuff happening and, um, I, don't, I really don't know where to begin. So, so what, when you talk about being an audio marketing consultancy, yep. what do you mean by that? So we're more of a agency. So we take on any... So a business today is the, the first media agency before they're a lawyer or a, um, uh, a financial advisor or an accountant or a mechanic or a car salesman. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. They're first a media, media agency before they are whatever it is that they are because today's world is based on media whether right. it's social or it's articles or it's audio or it's video yeah um and it's very intricate like if someone's looking to hire a marketing person they're looking for a skill set mm-hmm. and chances are that someone that whoever they land up getting you know they they they, they have a certain skill set and for them to f- perform the entire gambit of marketing activities, they need to upskill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have to be managed and they have to pay super and they have to pay all that kind of stuff. So instead of them worrying about all that stuff, we just plug our whole team into their business and okay. we do all their marketing for them. Right. We base our marketing principles based on pull marketing. So rather than interrupting their people um, to get a message across, we find a way that their people come to them. And that's our thesis. Our thesis is that there are people always looking for services. How do we create a system where the person looking to find you and find your services will find you because they're looking for you. Mm-hmm. So, And then you kind of create enough of a product ecosystem around them searching for you that by the time you have a conversation face-to-face with them, they already know what you're about, what you stand for, what your services are, mm-hmm. and they're only looking to see whether you know values align. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel like audio is the best place for us to grab all that kind of content to create all the collateral that a business possibly needs, um, because it's the first sense we develop as children. Mm-hmm. It is the, the sense of connection that you have through a conversation is second to none. Every single business that mm-hmm. has ever existed, um, the conversion that has ever happened in their business has happened in a conversation. We just harness the power of those conversations. Right. And so uh, you mentioned the lawyer, the mechanic, you know, etc. So these are entrepreneurs Mm. who are wanting to get their message out in order to pull prospective clients to them. Yeah, we always deal with the business owner. I don't think even we have a few uh, companies that are on the stock exchange and the point of contact is still still the business owner. Yeah. So irrespective of how big they are so far, and and it's too early in the the timepiece to Mm -hmm. kind of... um, put exact designations on it but so far it's just been the business owner that we've been dealing with so they might have um multiple teams or multiple managers or different locations different cities and so far amplify has been dealing straight with Mm -hmm. with uh, the business owner so yes Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur yes yeah and when you say audio i mean is that 
limited at this point to the medium of podcasting or is it more broad than that? Um, that's a really good question, Richard, because everyone, when they, when they hear audio, they only think of podcasting or they mm-hmm. think maybe it's like, um, maybe it's radio a radio, ads. radio ad or yeah, something, yeah, or something yeah. on those lines. But we have clients that the audio never actually sees the light of day. Like, you know, the public will never probably see the audio, mm-hmm. but what we're able to gather in the audio so we will go and interview we'll have interviewers that will go into businesses and interview whoever they need to interview Mm -hmm. the conversation you understand me better right now because we're having a conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, if I had to do a monologue on what I did there's no way I'd be able to communicate exactly what I did properly Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean Um, or if I did I would have to practice a lot Mm -hmm. to get to a point where I was succinct enough to explain exactly what I did. But the fact that you understand what I'm doing is because you're asking me all these questions. So we do something similar. um, And then our content team takes that audio away and creates everything from, um, you know, a variety of articles to slide decks, to social media stuff, to graphics, Mm Uh, to even video, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's unlimited. So we can take any piece of one-hour uh, audio content and turn that into anything between 47 and 96 unique pieces of content that okay. every week goes out. Right. Yeah. So it's not so much the content that is limited to audio, but it's the way you capture the data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's some in some instances, um, you know, the actual audio is mm-hmm. produced in a way that we can actually release that, right. because there's no better form of engagement that mm-hmm. we can get on any other platform than through audio. Mm. It's interesting you made the comment about uh, hearing being the first sense that we develop, because mm. uh, literally this morning I interviewed the CEO of Hear and Say, Hear and Say, who mm. fit cochlear implants for little babies who are born deaf. And, uh, and he was talking about how it's not that the baby is deaf, their brain still can hear, it's just that their ears don't work. So uh, I'd never really sort of uh, thought about it from that perspective. And you go through their facility and there are all these little babies and mm. playing all these games mm. and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, when you think about disability, people go, oh, wouldn't it be terrible to be blind? But, you know, uh, uh, hearing is so much more important. It is it is by far the most connected sense that we have, mm. um, and it's it's twofold. It's not only sound that uh, that we connect with through audio or, or through speech. We connect with uh, it's a very kinesthetic sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's the vibrations yeah. that we connect with. Um, so there there are multiple things happening with with voice mm-hmm. and that's why you know mothers sing and parents sing to their kids when mm-hmm. they're in the womb because um there's this sense of connection right cool that is cool so um it's, you've had a very interesting pathway though to get to this point mm-hmm. uh, uh i've known you for a while and and certainly uh, i know a bit about your background but why don't you talk us through you know where you were born and your early <laughs> life and let's uh follow this pathway to uh amplify wow um Okay, so I was born in Bahrain uh, in the Middle East and we were there for six years mm-hmm. before we moved to, um, to Goa. Uh, Your parents? In, in, in India, yeah. Were Indian? My, my, yeah, so my, my, my dad's Indian, my mom's Portuguese. Right, okay. And um, my dad grew up in Goa, which used to be a Portuguese colony, so okay. 
he, he's fluent in Portuguese. Right. Um, so what was happening in Bahrain for them to be there? So dad decided to want to make it on his own. So he moved to um, the Middle East to start from scratch, I suppose. Okay. Um, and my first memories growing up were that we didn't have a bed. We just have a mat- had a mattress on the floor. And, and right. dad would, would um, go down the street and to, to work in a... Uh, washing dishes at a, at a at a restaurant. Okay. And the the, the next bit of uh, I don't know stuff that we got in the house was an air conditioner, and mm. then we got the sofa set, then oh, wow. all that, then the bed, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, Dad was probably the original entrepreneur in the family, mm-hmm. um, and then we moved to Goa um, six years after I was born, and then. Um, Dad tried a whole bunch of different things. Um, initially, he he tried to he tried to open a restaurant, which he didn't like. He had everything fitted out and, and didn't right. didn't open it um, uh, because of a very weird dream that he had. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he started, he tried to open um, a, a small sort of video uh, cinema. Okay, um, just like you know, uh, a small like twenty twenty person cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that didn't go out, didn't work out as well. Um, but then he finally got into construction. Okay. And um, and yeah, he, he he built his his first building, and mm-hmm. uh, that was our first house that we owned. That mm-hmm. was that was in that. I say we he, um, and uh, yeah, from from that point onwards, I. I did a bachelor of engineering and in, in, he wanted me to take over the business, which was construction. Mm-hmm. I didn't see myself setting bricks for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. I kind of went, uh, this is not for me. Um, and I did um, computer engineering. So you did, um, sorry, sorry. So you did a bachelor of construction first? No, no. Oh, I, did, I, 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 instead of doing, wanted yeah, to. he wanted me to do right, it. So okay. I, because I, I got into bachelor of engineering, you can choose. I see. Um, but I, I wanted to do computer engineering rather than civil engineering. Mm-hmm. And where did you do that? I did that in, in India. Okay. Uh, not in Goa, but in, 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 in a state mm-hmm. next to Goa. Okay. In, in, yeah. And uh, there was four years. Um, and I worked in Bangalore for about eight months before realizing that that was just not for me. In the IT sector? In the IT sector. Yeah, right. Um, okay. for, a, for an American company. Um, and... I realized I didn't like to be told what to do. Right. <laughs> uh, someone, my parents could have told me that, but um, I don't think they, because dad asked me to, to take over the business and I just didn't see myself. I saw myself as a nine to five person at that point, Yeah, which was really interesting because I can't imagine myself to be a nine to five person today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends today wouldn't imagine me to be, you know anything but an entrepreneur so it's it's mm. really weird well as a business owner i work basically from five in the morning till about 10 at night so i haven't seen nine to five for a yeah. long time yeah 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 and 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 there are days that uh, you don't feel like doing that and, yeah. and there are days that you can afford to take that off and you don't sure. have to ask anyone for permission um which is a cool part and and i keep telling people because they ask me about being an entrepreneur and i say it's a great life. It's an amazing life, but it's not a comfortable one. Mm-hmm. So if you associate great and amazing with comfort, then being an entrepreneur is probably not yeah. the life you should choose. So so you worked in IT for about eight or nine months? 
Yeah, and uh, and I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave India. I just like this is this is just not for me. Right. And uh, I decided to uh, to upskill and do a masters, and okay. and I thought I was a technical person. Let's yeah. just do a masters in software engineering. Right. Uh, and I got into UCLA in, in the states, and okay. and I got into Sheffield in um, in the UK, and I was going to UCLA for all practical purposes yeah. until. Um, there was a bunch of Australian universities that came to India to, I don't know, I suppose, showcase uh, Australian universities. So right. um, there was a prospectus of a guy and a girl on a beach. And I looked at that. I, I looked at that and went, is this university on the beach? And she said, yes. I said, on the beach? And she said, yes. So I signed up at Griffith University. There was nowhere close to the goddamn <laughs> beach. It was just in the, in the, in the mountain, the That's hills right. somewhere. In the forest. In the forest. Um, so that's how I came to Australia. Right. Um, and that's, that's how I got here. And do you have brothers and sisters? I have, I have a younger sister who's five okay. years younger than me who okay. followed me five years later and right. came to Australia too. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's married here with a, with, okay. a, with a kid, yeah. Okay, great. So uh, over to Griffith, uh, did your more IT qualifications? Yes, I did a software uh, engineering master's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a research master's, so I wrote a thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of that, Griffith employed me. I, was, I used to lecture there for a little while. Okay. Um, and uh, as soon as I was done, I, um, I got a really cool job um, in an IT firm. They, they did auto guidance. So auto guidance is we'd use GPS signals to guide mm-hmm. everything. Right. Uh, so a tractor would wake up in the morning, plow the field, and come park itself all, all on its own, mm-hmm. um, auto guided. Uh, so what you see now for Uber, Pittsburgh, which is driverless cars... All that kind of stuff is built on the technologies that we had back right. then for agriculture and defense. Wow! Um, so it was really amazing stuff. Like uh, the kind of kind of work that we were doing was kind of cool. So, um, I was, and it was a small team. It was like twenty twenty four people, mm-hmm. and um, I kind of knew what the aspirations were. The aspirations was to sell. They wanted to sell to a bigger to a bigger firm, um, and they couldn't grow anymore. So. I pitched them the idea that if they got um, quality certified, mm-hmm. then they would attract a better mm-hmm. uh, uh, buyer. So like an ISO. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we yeah. went for. We went for an ISO 9001. Mm-hmm. And um, I got the company certified. They got bought over. And like overnight, I went from being a quality engineer to being a global quality manager. Right. Which... I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I had no clue. Um, and then um, this big company was 450 odd people mm-hmm. in like seven or eight different locations on the planet. And uh, I was suddenly given the task of getting them ISO accredited. Right. So as part of that journey, they paid for an MBA, which I did at QUT. Mm-hmm. Um, and that MBA changed the way I looked at the world. Mm-hmm. I saw opportunity everywhere, which I never noticed before. Mm-hmm. Same streets, same vendors, same issues, but I saw different stuff. Why do you think that was? I think, I think in the first three-hour lecture of, market, of management principles, mm. uh, they introduced the whole exchange of value, okay. which... I never thought of before. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not think on those lines at all, but they unlocked this 
I think they unlocked a concept which I'd never thought of enough. So I I kind of went into this view of wait a minute, people are exchanging value here, mm-hmm. and money is is value, and someone's services is value. A cup of coffee is value. The money that they give in return is value. What problems are people solving for other people in exchange for value? Mm-hmm. And and I never thought of mm. life in that okay. way before. And so, how did that change you? Oh, I didn't. I saw opportunity everywhere, mm. and and as the days went by, I felt like I was not contributing at all. In your quality role, in general, I'm right. like I'm I'm like um, I knew that the, that my quality. I, I knew that the end goal here was to get ISO nine thousand and one accredited for the for the business for the for the big company. Yeah, uh, I was reporting to the VP of engineering, so there was, and he had been there for seventeen years, and mm-hmm. I, I knew that I wouldn't want to be there for seventeen years just mm-hmm. to get his job. Yeah, so that natural progression did not appeal to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as soon as they got eyes on 9,001 accredited, I, I didn't like, I did, I don't, I didn't know what the next step was. I didn't, I didn't see a pathway mm. at all. Like, and, and they wanted to move me to the States and I'm like, I don't know who moved to the States. I don't like necessarily the culture there. I'm mm. so happy here, um, in Australia that I don't necessarily want to move. Um, and um, yes, it, through various series of events, I met um, met a guy who took over the Deloitte's books for as a financial advisor, mm-hmm. and they had um, a firm that was based in Newcastle but had Brisbane and Sydney branches that took over Deloitte's financial advising customers. So he's like, I just I, I need you to to lead the Brisbane team, mm-hmm. and I said. I don't even know what financial advising means. Right. Um, and he said, "Well, oh, you just need a you need just need a diploma qualification, which they paid for, which right. I did at Kaplan somewhere here. Okay. I think it's in, in this building. If I'm not, oh, if yeah. I'm oh, not, look, you can yeah. do all over the place. Yeah, PS one four six or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, RG one four six. Yeah, RG right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I became a financial advisor, which okay. was um, which was very sideways, I suppose. Um, but I didn't like the field. It was um, very cutthroat mm-hmm. and, and people were doing stuff that I didn't really want to be part of. Um, so in that time, I um, set into motion a, a plan to open my own restaurant. And yeah, I didn't have any experience. It was probably a naive thing to do. But So why a restaurant? Um, I think it was all I could conceptualize at the time. Mm-hmm. hindsight's always twenty twenty. So right now when I think about it, I think that's probably all I could conceptualize. Everyone would ask me why, like that, that you're from India, that, you know, why Goa and what, what's so different about Goa? And I would mm-hmm. say, you know, it's a mixture of Portuguese and Indian and it's very, like, it's not, it's not like any other part of India. Like mm-hmm. you'd go to Goa and you would not see India like mm-hmm. you'd normally see it. It's very, very different. We had the third largest party in the world for the millennium. It's it's a party place. It's yeah, it's a beach. It's a beach. Yeah, yeah. it's a very chilled out mm-hmm. sort of Byron Bay kind of uh, right state. Mm-hmm. 
So I thought that if I could bring the mixture of Portuguese uh, flavors and Indian spices to create a, a restaurant, then and it's the first of it was there was no other one in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to be the first one. Uh, you can see a trend here, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's what I did. Okay. Yeah. And uh, at that stage, um, married. No, not no, married. Still single, man. Not still single. Right. And um, your entire sort of energy is going into yeah. work and creating opportunity. Yeah. In fact, I didn't think I'd be married. I didn't think marriage was an option for me. I right. didn't think I'd meet someone. I didn't think, I, I didn't think I'd want to be with someone really for, for a longer period of time. I just mm-hmm. was happy living my life mm-hmm. um, until I met Rochelle. Mm-hmm. And she screwed my plans up. <laughs> <laughs> As often happens. Oh, yeah. All right. So you opened this restaurant and it, you've had it for nearly three and a half years. So yep. it must have done well. Uh, it didn't do well initially. I, there was this education process that I had to take people through. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't bank on the idea that people wanted to know what they were getting into. You know what right. I mean? Like I... I don't think Brisbane or in general, like people rather go to a place that they know they'd get good food as opposed to trying something new. Okay. Um, so there was a, a year and a half of, of education that went into building us up to a point where we were really good at what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that year and a half was extremely difficult because the floods were part of that year. Mm-hmm. Um and there was a lot of different things that happened in that year that I was naive. I never owned a business before. There were so many things that I did not take into consideration, like having a, having a sec- separate GST account. Right. Like all these little things that yeah. are fundamental to business, mm-hmm. right? Um, and not only was I not well-versed in running a restaurant, even though I... I, I managed a restaurant it's very different to managing managing a restaurant than running it from uh you know the numbers point of view i had no idea how the internal workings of a kitchen worked Mm -hmm. so i had a head chef who i said to can you i need you to train me to become a chef Mm -hmm. and i started washing dishes in my own restaurant uh which is by far probably the one of the best things I did mm. go from scratch yeah. and learn that way. Um, and then I went to, to doing all the prep work and then I went to, uh, uh, you know, learning the pan section to then running the whole kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we, we were doing extremely well at that point mm-hmm. uh, of the piece, but because the restaurant model is so flawed, it's one of those traditional models that no one's ever taken the time to think whether this works or not. Right. Because there's so much of constraints, right? The mm-hmm. constraint are, constraints are once you pick a cuisine, that's the cuisine. Yeah. I once know. you pick a location, that's the location. Right. You, you have so many constraints. Yeah. like, And then then wages is in Australia is one of the biggest bills. It's, mm-hmm. it's cr- almost crippling mm-hmm. to have um, staff these days. So especially here uh, in, in Australia. So all that put together gave us very little to no margin. So mm-hmm. those year and a half, uh, you know, it was it was difficult to catch up with that year and a half mm-hmm. that we were trying to get stuff off the ground. 
Um, saying that, we, 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 did, we did really well. Um, however, we had a 3 plus 3 plus 3 lease. Okay. Um, and in, again, being naive, didn't sign the rollover from the 3 plus 3, three right. to 3 uh, to the next bit. And um, we did service on a Saturday night, and on Sunday the locks were changed. Right. And the landlord didn't want to take my phone calls, and it was all through the lawyers. And the lawyer said, oh, well, I asked a friend for advice, um, and uh, he said, well, you can fight it, mm. and we can fight it, but legally you haven't signed the rollover, so you technically are not a tenant. Right. Um, and that's a problem, yeah. and, and, and they'd always come up mm-hmm. winning, irrespective of how unfair this sounds. Mm. So um, It's a common story, isn't it? I have many friends who have been restaurateurs, and they've uh, seen their dreams evaporate because of the behaviour of landlords. Um, it's very sad. It is. And and I didn't see it coming. I had a really good relationship with the landlord. Like, mm. I did not... And I think there were more than one person involved. Mm. I think it was, it was a family thing. And, hey, he did what he had to do. Um, or they did what they had to do. And I'm very lucky that they did it. Mm. Hindsight mm. is uh, amazing. And I I just decided to walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a debt of $478,000. Mm-hmm. Um and that was not long ago. That was May 2013. Right. 26th of May. Okay. And so uh, a couple of, uh, you know, wedge jobs to just see you through. <laughs> yeah. Bavarian Beer Cafe and the yeah. uh, Coffee Club. Yeah. And then uh, on to this epic adventure. Yeah. Um, Bavarian Beer Cafe was an amazing experience. Uh, I was part of a team that cooked for like, we used to cook for 800 covers in a mm. night, which was fascinating. It was such a, brilliant thing to be part of um but yeah i i was i was i built a website for a friend mm-hmm. for free and you might know her sammy sammy anderson no, no? she was bg1 okay and um she got me a tick she's she's to date glenn Okay. Way back in the day, I think. Right. Like way back in the day. So what Ron is talking about for people who are not familiar is uh, the key person of influence program. Yeah. Glenn, uh, Glenn uh, is one of the uh, founders and he's been a previous guest on my podcast, as I'm sure he has been on yours, honestly. Yes, yes, a few times. <laughs> um, and she got me a ticket to the Brand Accelerator. Right. And I'd never been to an event like that before. And I sat in the car and I was like fascinated by what they were talking about. And I've had to write a book on my to-do list for ages. Mm. So that really appealed to me. So I um, I paid the 50 bucks on my credit card to kind of go and do the discovery session. And I came home and um, Rochelle asked me the next day. She's like, how did it go? And I said, oh, yeah, you know, it was good. And she's like, no, tell me about it. And I started talking about the the whole one day experience and the discovery session. And, and at the end I said, you know, uh, she's like, why aren't you doing it? I was like, baby, we don't have, we don't have money. Leave alone. We don't have, we have zero money. We have negative money. Like, you know, there's no way. And she said, she said, I've I've not seen you like this in ages and we'll find the money. Mm -hmm. 
and forced me to sign up. So to be honest, if, if that phone call I didn't make to Mike at the time, I don't know where the, my life would be. Mm-hmm. It would be I seriously very, very different. So I, I applied. I, I went and got, got into Brisbane Group 1 KPI mm-hmm. with an idea that I would cook for people. Um, didn't have a business then. Lied to Mike and, and, and Glenn and told them that I had a existing business. I did not. Mm-hmm. I just had a, a, an idea of what I wanted to make work. Um, and um, yeah, and, and in the in the process, created the Uber for for chefing. We had mm-hmm. we'd have a bunch of chefs that would cook for people in their homes. And um, yeah, my job was just to to create the supply and demand for that. Mm-hmm. And I would do unique events like the seven deadly sins we did yeah. together yeah um where i was trying to create new dishes and new menus and that's mm-hmm. what i really enjoyed um enjoyed creating so yeah that was so the idea of- going into that experience was you're going to build this uh uber for chefs business and then also there was a concept around for busy entrepreneurs who wanted to eat healthily going into their home and cooking sort of a week's worth of food. Yeah. So so this that was the only service offering that that if uh, a high performer knew exactly what knew that they had to eat well but they didn't have the time mm. to make it happen mm-hmm. then one of our chefs would go into their homes once a week and cook for them. Yeah. There was no random cooking like so they they would sign up for 13 26 or 52 week programs. Yeah. Uh, and we would uh, make sure what they ate was in line with their goals. So if mm-hmm. they wanted uh, energy, weight loss, whatever, focus, uh, we'd make sure that the food allowed that to happen. But mm-hmm. we also made sure that they did not eat anything they didn't like. Mm-hmm. So the propensity of them to stick with that was was very high. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so we'd we'd have different levels where either they could do the shopping or we could do the shopping okay. or uh, we could come multiple times a week or or any version uh, any mixture of that. Right. Um, yeah. So that business is uh, starting to percolate. Yeah, and and I decided to start a podcast to to do to to get more people to realize that we're trying to create this efficiency in our lives, but not realizing that the fuel that fuels that mm. is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like buying a new Ferrari and putting 91 octane fuel in it. It just doesn't even like you would never do that. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you do to a car that you wouldn't do to you. Like, sorry, things that you do to a car that you don't do to your body. Mm. It's, it's quite fascinating. Like you, you would take out insurance on your car Way, way before you drove it out of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't have insurance on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with fuel, the same yeah. with food. And mm-hmm. and that was the idea then. Uh, but the more I interviewed people, the more I realized that everyone had a food story. Yeah, Everyone had this connection to food. Yeah. So this is Bond Appetit. This is Bond Appetit, the business. And I created the podcast Bond Appetit as a... Yeah. Um, and, and so yeah. where had podcasting been in your radar, you know, uh, to make a choice to use that as a channel to market? <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. It, um, I was, a, I was a, an audible 
member for years. I've mm-hmm. been an Audible member for maybe six years now, seven years. And I still listen to a whole bunch of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I reduced my road rage just by, you know, listening to <laughs> audiobooks. Um, but podcasting wasn't on my radar. And I fa- figured, I started listening to podcasts after the restaurant. I started listening to podcasts while I was going through my period of recovery mm-hmm. from the restaurant because anything that could sort of take me away from realizing the the deep hole I dug for myself mm. was a was a good idea I suppose um within reason as long as I was doing something about getting myself out of the hole I didn't want to declare bankruptcy because I knew I wanted to be a business owner mm-hmm. so uh put all that together um and someone mentioned that you know podcast was was a good idea so mm-hmm. I did some research on that and I realized that it wasn't being done as much, which attracts me to these kind of things. Mm. Um, and that's that's why I created Bond Appetit. Mm-hmm. And that's grown to be a very successful podcast, hasn't it? Yeah, well, depends on your definition of success. But yeah, it's grown um, to be a really amazing tool for me to meet some phenomenal people. Mm-hmm. Um I don't necessarily associate a money figure with the podcast or or a, or a return on investment, like a direct return on investment from, from the podcast, even though it would be very easy to go out and get a sponsor for the podcast. But I think the medium itself, like, I mean, you'll experience this, Richard, having this platform and saying, why don't you come onto my platform? Mm-hmm. It's so different to picking up the phone and saying, hey, my name is Ronsley and this is what I do. Would you like to chat with me? Yeah. It's so different. For sure. So I, I get a chance to talk to some amazing people. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's interesting in my space because a lot of the people that I'm interviewing have never listened to a podcast. Mm. They kind of get what it is. But it's, oh, what do I have to do? Wear something nice? No, no, yeah. it's just audio. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I say, look, have a listen to some podcasts prior to the interview and they show up. I say, have you had a listen to any? It's like, oh, no, I haven't listened to any. <laughs> yeah. So they're completely oblivious to it. Whereas, you know, I imagine a lot of the people that you're attracting onto the podcast are there because they're excited about their own brand and using it as a vehicle to promote their brand. And, and also they're excited about the medium. Um, and I definitely get my share of those, mm. but uh, but far more, my guests are almost reticent to actually appear on it. Um, I think there's a bit of both. I think on Bond Appetit, I pop a lot of people's cherry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it comes to podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, but the second podcast, it's you know, it's all about podcasters. So. Yeah. Um, I do get mm. podcasters on mm. that. Um, and so yeah. I've known you sort of, uh, not really well, but I've certainly known you over that period. So you, you go in with this idea about building essentially a catering business. Mm. Over the course of that, you get into running a food-orientated podcast. Yes. That starts to get legs. And so yeah. what the, the thought then becomes, hey, I've, I've built some brand credibility in this space maybe what I need to be doing is to teach other people how to podcast. Well, not, not really. I think, I think at the stage of Bond Appetit doing really well or the perception of it doing really well, 
um, a lot of people kind of came up to me and said, can you please help me create my own? Yeah. And, and again, credit to the kind of people that came up to me because I was just, initially I was just like, here are my notes. Right. You know, go do it yourself. And, and, um, there were a couple of people, Clarissa Raywood and, and uh, Elizabeth Gillum, that said mm-hmm. to me, no, create your, create a product so that, that we can buy it from you. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time, Richard, that that's, this was different. It was almost like it was like a brick in the face. Like why mm-hmm. wouldn't someone want to prove product market fit mm-hmm. before they went and created all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I was proving product market fit before I even created the program. Because you were doing it yourself? Well, partly, but I didn't know what the steps were. I mean, I had to decipher the steps. I didn't create the steps. I kind of just did this call out and said, I'm going to take eight people Mm -hmm. through this course. I'm Mm going to do it. Um, There are two platinum versions, six... um, not platinum versions. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the, the six would get group coaching mm-hmm. and the, the two would get one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. And this is the beta price. As soon as there, I have eight, that's done. Mm-hmm. And in, in a, two days, I, I, filled, I filled eight. Mm-hmm. That was my first injection of, I don't know, I think it was like, 32 grand, I think, mm-hmm. I, I made in, in a week, mm-hmm. which was mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Considering that you come, that I was coming to the to the fray from, and, and I didn't see any other 32 grand because that went straight to paying a debt yeah. off, right? Um, because in that period, I had really weird, like, stuff that you see in the movies where people were coming and asking for money and they would knock on the doors and they were debt collectors. And mm-hmm. there was this one time there was this person outside the door with weird contractions to take the car away. So I'm not going from that to having 32 grand like that to just keep people off my back was like, wow, this is, this yeah. is, this I'm is, a, yeah, this is amazing. And, and then the more, I got involved with that the more I enjoyed it the more I realized that I was giving I was potentially giving someone the opportunity to to make themselves heard their voice heard their their values heard their 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 purpose heard and and the more I was around those kind of people the more I enjoyed it mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, that's that's where I suppose the broadcast your message course was born. Um, and then that led into the conference. That that led into the conference. I I I was having breakfast with Andrew Griffiths one morning just before the brand accelerator in Brisbane, um, and he he said to me, "If someone's going to do it for the first time, why 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 shouldn't it be you?" Mm-hmm. And that really messed with me because that's where I started. Like for me, that it's really appealing to do, to be the first of mm. of anything. Yeah. Um, so it was the first podcasting conference on this side of the planet, and um, that was probably that year, twenty fifteen, was the biggest growth spurt that I had mm. 
emotionally, you know, mentally. Uh, so what do you think, yeah. you know, I mean, and now you've, you're in a, uh, a role chief daydreamer, mm. but uh, you're leading a team of, do you say eight people? Twelve. Twelve people. So, you know, um, this is through these sort of periods of intense personal growth. Yeah. In order to rise to the challenge and make a fist of it. Yes. You know, what, what, what were some of the conscious, you know, choices you were making about how you re-engineered Ronsley to, uh, you know, adapt and thrive? Oh, what a brilliant question, Richard. Um, a few things. I think I guarded and still do guard my time and the people I hang out with. Mm. I, I guard that more than anything else. Uh, I'm very conscious about who I spend my time with and what conversations we have. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that I did. The second thing I did was I wake up at 4.30 every morning and I find that that's probably the most productive time of the day. And by the time it's 9 o'clock, I've done more than anyone has and I can potentially take the day off, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that I've added to my to my day and my rituals. I've also realized that you can tweak a business model to take any risks and turn them into advantages. Mm-hmm. What's an example? An example is Amplify. We we have a virtual team. Right. They're all full-time. Not all, but the, the major 12 the, they are full-time. Mm-hmm. But they are virtual. They have the freedom to, to clock their hours when they feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um but we attract these amazing people who who value freedom more than having a job. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like because that's the case, we can create unique key people of influences in within our business mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so we're just getting up off the ground um, the the intention of getting our team to write for us as part of their own personal brand. Uh, evolution um, and and that just flipped the whole pay mm. problem on its head so we don't we don't pay by the hour we don't pay by salary we pay by job task completed mm-hmm. so that's how they work and and now my aim and my goal is that by the end of this financial year we become the only marketing agency on the planet to claim that we can, um, we, we deliver results. Mm-hmm. We, we... How, how, I mean, me sitting here as devil's advocate, yeah. how do you say we're the only marketing agency on the planet that delivers results? No marketing agency can claim that. No, not a single one. How's that? Because they don't want to. They don't, they don't want to be able to... We've, we've not... We've not. We've done enough research. To uh, there might be that we don't know of yet, but they're not marketed themselves well enough. But yeah. so far, when we, if you do a search and and we've done uh, enough searches to kind of guarantee results, no one, no marketing. Okay, so you, what you're saying is that whilst a marketing agency might say we will help you to get better results, 
they're not prepared to guarantee that. Yeah, yeah, we want right. to guarantee results. We want right. to guarantee results to the extent that we'll give you your money back if we don't. Right. That's my goal. That's my goal for Amplify, to right. get there where we are comfortable enough to say, which means we've got to get all the processes sorted in terms of even vetting the, the right clients at the start. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, um, it's our job. I mean, why shouldn't we... Why shouldn't we deliver? Like every marketing agency is there for a reason. That's the problem with marketing. Um, mm. People don't know whether to put their money into marketing because no one can guarantee results. They'll only guarantee the activity. Yeah, well, that's for sure. I've been mean, certainly in my own limited way of trying to engage marketing consultants in different capacities for my business. Mm. You know, everybody wants to be paid, but nobody wants to actually make a commitment as to what results would be delivered. Yep. So... Given that the majority audience of this podcast are not entrepreneurs, mm. they might be intrapreneurs, meaning mm. they're entrepreneurial within their organisations, yep. but largely they're working in the corporate space. Sure. They could be in a range of probably mid to senior level leadership roles, yep. um, uh, potentially sitting on boards of organisations. And I imagine that you know, whilst you've created a suite of services which suit the small entrepreneurial business. Yeah. It's just as pertinent to bigger, hmm. you know, organizations yeah. as well. Yeah, we have we have a couple of organizations that are on stock exchanges, like ones in the Swiss and ones in the UK stock exchange. Okay. So let's say, for example, you're talking to a larger organization hmm. and, you know, who don't have much exposure to podcasting. Hmm. You know, what, what would you sort of describe as being some of the advantages that they could you know, generate for their business by exploring this as a, you know, a, a quality channel? <laughs> the first one is never to use the word podcast in, in the conversation. Right. Uh, the word podcast is tainted. It's like me telling you, Richard, I go to church. You either think that I'm a good boy right. or someone that's totally oblivious to the fact that religion does not exist. You can, you, you, you'll either have one or two ways of looking at it. It's, right. it's, taint, it's a tainted word. Okay. It's like me saying I go to yoga. You'll either think I'm a hippie or someone that wants to be flexible. Like, you know, it's, it's all these different taints that okay. you have to the word. The word podcasting is so new that people don't know what to make of it. Okay. And that was my initial problem with pitching the, the idea of podcasting. Right. Because I'd use the word podcasting. But now, all I have to do is say, do you know how every single conversion in your business has happened in a conversation? We harness the power of conversation. Mm-hmm. And instantaneously, they get it. And then they, they say, so you mean I should start a podcast? So it's a very different way mm. of, of pitching because they've pitched the podcast idea to, to me. Mm-hmm. And 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 see there 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 are different ways of looking at it. We have um, we have a a company that um, the actual piece of audio doesn't go out to the public, mm-hmm. but because they're such a large uh, company, that audio goes to the internal people, mm-hmm. which means uh, people in the senior level get a chance to make sure that their side of the story is heard, which is the biggest issue when it comes yeah. to uh, a corporate structure. Sure. Uh, but also that side of the story is taken and created. All this other stuff is created that mm. the public see. So not only are they 
are creating stuff for the internal morale and the culture of the of the organization they're creating all this this collateral for clients and partners and 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 the world and stakeholders to see how their business works mm-hmm. um, and what they really stand for what their values are what why they do make and make certain decisions so um, it's it's a fascinating journey when I'm when I talk to these people and, and and talk to them about what they do and how they do it and why they do it I mean everyone has a story right mm. Yeah, I must admit, you know, I've, this is an attribute or an element of my work that I most enjoy at the moment. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And and definitely, you know, where I'm interviewing CEOs or even chairs of companies, yeah. they will then put their podcast on their intranet mm. so that the staff can, you know, get to know more about their executive leaders and, uh, you know, a little bit of the backstory as to yeah. their early lives, etc. So, I've, I mean, and I found... That whilst many pe- people might be reluctant to come to the table, mm. once they're actually at the table, yeah. they're having a great time. Absolutely, you know, yeah. we get to an hour and it's like, oh, I want to keep going. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's been very powerful for me, and yeah. certainly I've watched what you've been doing. It's been extremely powerful in terms of, uh, you know, your own business. So if you now look towards the future, mm. I mean, you're a, a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Mm. Um, what what sort of things are you excited about for the future? Oh, I'm excited for so many cool things coming up. I think we've aligned ourselves with some amazing causes um, around the world. Uh, I did not think that this would be one of it a couple of years ago, but sex trafficking is is a, is a big one that we're involved in and we're finding ways to amplify our impact. Excuse mm-hmm. the pun. Um, book launch in uh, in March next year. Uh, we are podcast 2017 with uh, John Lee Dumas coming from the states mm-hmm. and and that lineup. Uh, I I don't, I don't know how I'm going to match the lineup that we had this year because this year was a baller lineup. Uh, but we I've decided to go only a hundred seats mm-hmm. for we are podcast uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you decide that? Because I was comparing dick sizes. <laughs> it was like every time someone asked you or oh, you have an event how many people was the first question right and it would play this crazy ego thing in my head and I wanted to remove the chatter right so I went 100 seats from now on so that's what we do yeah uh, and that doesn't become that doesn't become bigger is better anymore sure well it's still, I mean it's a po- in podcasting oh how many listeners do you have yeah. and uh, I'm sure that you know there's some people who are quite honest about it there are mm. other people who are you know, inflate their numbers a lot because it's... That's why I don't talk about it. Yeah, it's just not a... I don't even right. take them, yeah. No. And so just coming back to, you know, the sex trafficking, uh, yeah. you're obviously uh, um, uh, working with what charities that are, are looking to stop or reduce that. Freetoshine.org is one is, is a major one in Cambodia that, yeah. that we work with. Um, we found that uh, the more... The more girls that are in in school, is that you or me? That's you. Sorry. Phone rings in a podcast. I I seriously, you saw me turn into silent. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, I I would normally edit that out, but I'm going to keep that in here just for for Rosalie's benefit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Richard, I apologize. Uh, Um, 
Friedrichshain.org, we found out that, that the girls that go to, go to school and, and are part of school don't get trafficked. Mm-hmm. And that's the easiest and quickest way and to, to, to stop them from being get trafficked. Is, is to be part of a community, to be mm-hmm. part of school, to be in a, state, in a place where there are more people around them. They're more visible. They're more visible. Yeah, right. Um, and it's, it's a $30 to $4 billion industry a mm-hmm. year, Richard, that happens <laughs> in 160 countries. And I can't believe there's a, there's a market for it. So mm. um, last year, we impacted about 32,000 kids. Wow. Uh, this year, plan was to double that, but we only hit 41,400. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping that the next year we'd, mm-hmm. we'd do more. But I think... I think having conversations around that is sort of the new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how large would you like to grow, amplify in terms of geographic reach and headcount? Um, I don't necessarily think that I have those goals yet set. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm building Amplify to sell. Okay. I, I know that every decision I make with Amplify is about how can I reduce risk and increase certainty within the business model so that when it does come mm-hmm. to sell time, uh, it makes a difference. Um, I don't necessarily have monetary or numerical goals on mm-hmm. that. Um, I find that I struggle with my ego more than anything else. So the less I have, the less I have with regard to the numbers Mm-hmm. the better I function. Mm-hmm. If I have an external, like if I have an external way of measuring success, mm-hmm. it's way better than having a numbers way of measuring success, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'd like us to be the marketing agency that university students want to be their first step. Okay. That's that's the goal for Amplify. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a lofty goal. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And uh, and what about what else? Uh, what about personally? You know, what are the sort of things that you want to achieve outside of work? Um, I've I've had running a marathon on my list for a while now. Uh, I've done a half, uh, but I've kept postponing my my marathon uh, attempt. I started a three hundred and sixty five day no sugar no grains right. about a month ago. How's that going? Great. Um, I don't necessarily... It's, it's almost like having a religion. Mm-hmm. I know what's right and what's wrong. I'm not standing in front of a cupcake going, should I buy this? Should I not? Will it be good? Should I take a run later because I'm mm-hmm. going to buy it? Mm-hmm. All those decisions don't become part of the equation anymore. Yeah. So I know that I can't walk into a 7-Eleven and buy a chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just reduces a whole bunch of decisions mm-hmm. that I would normally be they're trying to make yeah it's always i and yes there are times i mean i went for adam hulahan's uh the next day after announcing that this is what i'm going to do i went for adam hulahan's book launch and he had it at a dessert bar <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good test right. um but you know I, I like these challenges i mean you know that we've spoken about that yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like testing my what i believe is is true or not true i like testing the the waters there i um i do want to i do want to have more more three four day retreats Mm -hmm. 
where a bunch of people get together and we have some cool conversations and we just chill, no agenda. I think no wheat, no sugar. No, no wheat, no, no sugar, no, no grain, um, alcohol. Yeah, I can have vodka. Apparently, right. that's okay. not made of grain. Okay, I found a Japanese um, alcohol that is made of sweet potato. All right, so you know, um, just no scotch, <laughs> which is my favorite. All right, uh, so um, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, uh, for the people who are listening in, I'm sure that. Uh, uh, if you go to the show notes, you'll see uh, links to Ronsley and Ronsley's podcasts and so on. You know, what are the uh, hot podcasts that you're listening to at the moment? I was listening to an episode of Radio Lab on the way in. Right. And I thought Radio Lab was, is, is an amazingly well-produced show. Okay. Um, I think it's a must-listen. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I yeah. haven't listened to that. I'm a big fan of WTF. Yeah, that yeah, is, yeah. That's my favourite. Yeah, uh, you told me that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, look, Ronsley, I'll get let you get on with your busy afternoon, and uh, thanks again. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Thanks again for joining me today on the Arate podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ronsley. I look forward to having you along for future episodes. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. 